Well, good morning. Good to see you again. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here. And uh, welcome to all of Welcome to all of you who are joining us online. And again, uh, happy 4th of July, happy Independence Day. Uh, good day for us to celebrate. And I thought, you know, uh, what other way to celebrate than with your favorite subject in school? You're all looking at me with a blank stare, but I know that it's math. How many of you loved math in school? I loved math in school. That was one of my favorite subjects. Uh, algebra, calculus. My favorites were geometry and trigonometry. And, uh, you know, I figured for most of us, I thought I'd be kind. It's probably been a while since you've really had a good review of some of the geometry you might have studied in high school. And so I thought, hey, you know what? Today, you're going to maybe go home and grill. And some good geometry would help you to fit as much as you can on the grill. You know, whether you have a rectangle grill or a circular grill or a cylindrical chimney starter or a pyramid of coals or the parabola of the flame. Should I keep going? I keep going, but I won't. You know, uh, let's just do this though. I'm going to keep it easy. There's some formulas that you probably had to memorize in geometry that are still kind of helpful for you today. And kids, for those of you who are here with us this morning, uh, maybe you can help us out by just telling us what is the shape that you see on the screen here in a moment. So let's start with this first shape. Uh, kids, can you tell me what's this shape? Rectangle. Rectangle, right on. And now adults, tap into your geometry. Uh, how do you figure out the area of a rectangle or of a square? What's the formula? The area of a rectangle is length times width, or of a square, length times width. Give yourself a hand if you got that one right. Uh, by the way, we're just going to do plain geometry, no solid three-dimensional geometry today, just the flat stuff. Uh, how about the area of this shape? What's this shape? Triangle. How do you figure the area of a triangle? I'll help you. It's base times height divided by two, or times one-half. Base times height times one half. Uh, let's, let's make it a little more complicated. How about a parallelogram? Oh, I gave you the shape already. I was going to quiz you. How about a parallelogram? Two sets of parallel sides. You know how to figure the area of a parallelogram? It's the base times the height. It's actually not too hard, but it's got to have two sets of parallel sides. Uh, but what about this one? Only one set of parallel sides. Anybody know what this shape is? Trapezoid. It's a trapezoid, just one set of parallel sides. And the way that you can figure out the area of a trapezoid is add up the two, width, two lengths of its parallel bases, uh, multiply that times the height, and then divide it by two. There you go. Easy, right? You, you had to memorize all this stuff. Uh, I'll give you the last one, area of a circle. How about the area of a circle? Pi r squared, right? Pi times radius squared, or the circumference, two pi times the radius. All right, one last one. I'll give you a bonus. Tell me the name of this formula. Anybody know it? The Pythagorean theorem. And it helps you, of course. It helps you figure out an unknown side of a right triangle when you know the other two sides. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Well, you know, some of those formulas are really helpful to memorize and to know. They, they might help you as you grill this afternoon, I don't know, or in other areas of life. But do you know, what I want to do today is talk about a formula from Scripture uh, that is critical for you to memorize about your life. A critical formula 
for your life. And since it's Independence Day today, we're gonna see that this relates to our freedom and our happiness and our joy. So uh, let me pray, and then we're gonna dive back into Proverbs, and uh, we're gonna uncover this formula. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is our hope and our life. Thank you that uh, he loves us, not because we're good, but because he's good. And uh, Jesus, that you do, you give us the words of eternal life. Where else would we go but to you? And so we look to your word today. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd teach me and uh, speak to me even as I teach your word. Uh, Would you uh, encourage us, challenge us where we need to be challenged, rebuke us where we need to be rebuked, and uh, by all measures, change us to be more like Jesus. Lord, we love him. Thanks that you love us first. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, in our equation today, let's start off with the first variable, all right? We're just doing addition today, so it's simple. And no numbers, no numbers. Our first variable is this, freedom. Freedom. It's a good day to talk about freedom, isn't it? I mean, uh, today our nation celebrates its freedom and its independence. You know, the Continental Congress declared 245 years ago today, its independence... Uh, all 13 colonies that they were united and independent, no longer subject or subordinate to the monarch of Britain, King George III. And uh, now they were united, free, and independent states. But really, do you know, uh, our real Independence Day isn't July 4th, it's actually July 2nd when a resolution was passed in that Congress and the declaration just simply declared it, but that's the day we celebrate. So there's a little trivia for you as well, in addition to the theorems today. But you know, the second paragraph of that declaration that we celebrate today uh, begins like this. You'll recognize it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men, all mankind are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That, that it comes from our creator. It was acknowledged at the beginning of our nation. We're grateful for that. And uh, Thomas Jefferson, among a small committee, helped pen the Declaration of Independence. But uh, do you know there was actually one part of his original draft, and there were others as well, but one part that stood out to me, or stands out to me, I should say, that was left out of the final copy of the Declaration of Independence. And it was this, in one of the early drafts, Jefferson penned a scorching indictment of King George III as it related specifically to the slave trade. Uh, Jefferson blamed King George uh, for his role in creating and perpetuating the transatlantic slave trade. And he basically described it as a crime against humanity. Now it's curious that Jefferson did this because he himself was a slaveholder. But nevertheless, what what he writes here uh, was valuable. Here's in part what he wrote. Uh, He said, he, King George, has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere or to incur miserable death in their transportation. 
Jefferson went on to call the institution of slavery piratical warfare, execrable commerce, and an assemblage of horrors that he said was perpetuated by, and when he wrote it, it was in all capital letters, the Christian king of England. It's kind of poking at his claim as a Christian. But it's curious still, again, I mentioned Jefferson himself was a slaveholder, uh, so there's some hypocrisy in him writing this. But he, he, he criticized the crown for exciting those, very, exciting those very people to rise in arms among us, to purchase that liberty by which he had deprived them, of which he had deprived them, by, by murdering people on whom he also obtruded them. He's referring to uh, a proclamation in 1775 by Great Britain that offered freedom to any slave who would uh, rebel and revolt and fight on the side of Britain during the Revolutionary War. Uh, you know, this proclamation then inspired thousands of slaves to seek liberty behind British lines during that war. But, you know, again, with, with all the complexity behind that statement and it being pulled out to appease a number of southern states, it makes you wonder how different our nation might be if, if that 180-some words were left in the declaration, doesn't it? And... Uh, because it did still deny freedom for some. But nevertheless, uh, the Declaration was one that was in search of freedom. And uh, we're a nation who is still uh, in need of God's grace, in need of his uh, hand to change us and to, to shape us and to give us the true freedom he offers. But it might be good for us then just to define freedom. Here's some definitions. Uh, freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think just as one wants without hindrance or restraint. That's freedom. Or it's the absence of sub subjection to foreign domination or a despotic government. It, it's defined also as the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Why do you think we long for freedom? Why do you think when you hear the story of something like that being left out of our Declaration of Independence and for freedom, why does that stir up maybe some angst even in your own heart? I know it does mine. Do you know why? Because freedom is an attribute of God. It's an attribute of God. It's the attribute of God whereby he does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he pleases. And as image bearers of God, made in his image, we reflect his attributes and, and we long for him and his attributes. So so we reflect that desire for and that expression of freedom, don't we? But now here's the deal. In our sin, though, unlike God, because we've sinned, that expression and that search for freedom is distorted, isn't it? And so rather than search for freedom in, in Christ and in God and in what he does that pleases him, we often search for freedom in self and try to find it in every other thing in our lives and try to find freedom in, you know, as the old song goes, looking for, I'll just say looking for freedom in all the wrong places. Well, the Bible, let's see what the Bible has to say, Proverbs even, about being free. You know, ultimately we want freedom because we want to be happy, don't you? I mean, that's really why you want freedom. You want freedom because you just want to, you want to be happy and pursue happiness, just as our founders even wrote in our declaration. Well, the Bible tells us that if we really want happiness, if we really want freedom, one of the things Proverbs tells us is that it's found in righteousness. Look at Proverbs uh, 
12, there is life in the path of righteousness. And in its path, there's no death. There's life, there's freedom in righteousness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of those things. So one of our definitions of freedom ought to relate to true life when we're defining it according to God's word. And in in God's economy, another piece to freedom is that uh, sin doesn't go unpunished. That we might be free to sin and do ungodly things, but it won't go unpunished. In fact, uh, actually, it's the godly who are rewarded. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty one. You can be sure that sinners will be punished. And you can also be sure that godly people will go free. They'll go free. They won't be punished. They'll be rescued by God. There's punishment for evil. There's freedom for good and for godliness. And there's justice that's intertwined with the freedom of God. And so that tells me if there's judgment for doing bad and there's reward for doing good, I ought to fear the the creator of freedom. I ought to fear the judge by whom we find freedom and the one who sets the standard. I mean, do you remember how Proverbs starts? The, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or of wisdom. It's the beginning of life. Dare I say the beginning of true freedom. Proverbs 19.23 says that having respect for the Lord leads to life. And then you will be content and free from trouble. That is, as we seek the Lord, as we seek him first, there's true freedom. True freedom is related to righteousness and to life and to seeking God himself. And, And if I really want that, it's not seeking after everything that would fill self. It's actually the beginning then of that freedom is uh, the Bible would teach us and Proverbs would is to turn around from going after things that fill myself and my self-freedom and to repent is the biblical word and to turn back to God. All of scripture talks about repentance all over and coming back to the Lord and uh, Proverbs is no exception that the way to true freedom is to repent, to turn around, to turn back from that foolish way and to turn to the Lord Jesus Proverbs speaks a lot about it. Here's one example in Proverbs 6. My son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, now here he's just talking about kind of some practical advice, but what we see here is an application of repentance. Uh, If you've put up security for your neighbor or entered into an agreement with a stranger, you've been snared by the words of your mouth, trapped by the words from your mouth. Do this then. My son, if you're trapped, free yourself, for for you've put yourself in your neighbor's power. So go, humble yourself, plead with your neighbor. Don't give sleep to your eyes or slumber to your eyelids. Escape like a gazelle from a hunter, like a bird from a hunter's trap. Turn around, go to them, repent, turn back to the Lord, repent. That's just one example of many where we see the idea of repentance all throughout the book of Proverbs and throughout the Bible. And, you know, the way of freedom then seems to be one of repentance and of turning. We, we said earlier that as image bearers of God, we, uh, we have a sense of the freedom that he is and that he has. And so we long to reflect that. We, we long to live that out. And we are free, actually, like God is, in the sense that we get to choose. We get to choose what it is we're most inclined to do. We get to choose what it is we most want 
to do. But sadly, ever since sin has entered the world, do you know what that overriding inclination is? It's self and it's sin. And so my inclination over and over isn't towards good and others good and God's glory, but it's toward evil. And so while we long for freedom because it's part of us imaging God, uh, part of our mirroring of him, that mirror is distorted and and we seek freedom in self-centered things. And we think that we're uh, demonstrating our freedom, but we're actually showing our enslavement to our sin and to our selfishness. But do you know what Jesus says? If you want freedom, he says, uh, you will know the truth, and then what? Do you know what? The truth will set you free. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, true freedom is in Jesus Christ. It's implanted deep within every human being, being an image bearer of God, but it's only realized in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself actually Uh, At one point, you're you're not going to see this on the screen, but in Luke chapter 4, if you want to jot it down, the end of chapter 4, Jesus gets up in the synagogue and reads from the prophet Isaiah. And he reads this, and then he applies it to himself. He's saying it's a description of him. He gets up and he reads. He says, uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and Jesus sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That description, that's me. You know, uh, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Well, guess what? I'm the truth, Jesus says. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. So if you want to be free, and you want to know the truth, you, you want to know Jesus. He is truth. Uh, he is the truth. And he's the one who can set you free from your sin, from your addiction, from anything that enslaves you, your critical attitude, whatever, whatever it might be. He can free you from it. You need to know Jesus. You know, and that's the gospel. It's moving from slavery to myself and to my sin and moving, even as we sang this morning, into freedom in Jesus Christ. Being adopted into God's family and set free so that now I can live in that freedom in a way that honors and loves the Lord. We, we read this earlier, uh, Romans chapter six says, but now since you've been set free from sin and have become enslaved, uh, now you've been free, set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, in the end, eternal life. That true freedom leads to life and it's only found in Christ. Now, it, And this isn't the freedom we search for everywhere else. This is real freedom, true freedom. Jesus said, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Not just free on a piece of paper, you're free for eternity, forever, made new. And if you've trusted Jesus, you know this to be true, don't you? And in fact, Paul writes, he says, it is for that freedom that Christ set us free. So stand firm. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't don't submit to slavery. Don't submit to religion. Stand firm in that freedom in the Lord, dependent on him, honoring him. 
He goes on in chapter 5 of Galatians, you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. True Christian freedom, then, is about doing what you were actually created to do, doing that which honors the Lord. So if you've trusted Christ, keep living in that freedom. Live in the Spirit. You know, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. He changes you. He regenerates you. He seals you for, for eternity. He continues to change you and sanctify you throughout your earthly life. That's why where the Spirit of the Lord is, Paul writes, there is freedom. Freedom to really be you, who God created you to be, to live the way he designed you to live. Not freedom to do whatever you want, but freedom to be dependent on God. See, that's our next variable in our equation that we're writing out, uh, freedom plus dependence on God. Now, a lot of times when we think of freedom, we think independence, right? I mean, I mean, today, what is today? It's Independence Day, and we think of celebrating our freedom, and that's a great thing. But when we think about freedom in a biblical sense, sometimes we still tend to think about independence. It's just kind of woven into our culture. Think about it. When you became uh, 16 years old and you got your driver's license, what did you have? Freedom. What else? Independence, to a degree. That <laughs> You could put gas in the tank, at least for me. Uh, then when maybe you graduated high school, you went off to college, you suddenly had what? Freedom and independence. And now let's just, let's swing to the other end of life. How about for some of you, you entered retirement. What did you, what did you gain? Freedom, independence. It's like being a 20 year old again, right? Like going to college again for the first time. But you know, uh, while we tend to equate freedom and independence and link them together over and over in our culture, do you know the Bible never does? The Bible doesn't link freedom with independence. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate that total independence leads to total disaster. Being totally independent leads to total disaster. But you know that word freedom, it's so abundant in Christian culture. Almost as much as faith and as forgiveness, and we talk about freedom. Uh, but if we're not careful, we're going to equate like our cultural idea of freedom with the biblical idea of freedom and think we just get to be independent and do whatever we want, don't we? I mean, because when our culture thinks of freedom, we think of just rugged individualism, right? Mel Gibson in a skirt, riding a horse, screaming at the top of his lungs. That's what we think of when we think of freedom in a cultural sense. But we shouldn't confuse the cultural ideal of freedom with the gospel message of freedom, which isn't about independence, total independence. It's about, it's about being dependent on God, freedom plus dependence on God. Proverbs 12 says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes when he's totally independent, but a wise man listens to advice. And ultimately, uh, the advice we get in Proverbs, who's it from? It's from our good dad. It's from the Lord. So a wise person is dependent on the word, dependent on God and what he tells us and how to live. Proverbs 28 says, whoever trusts in his own mind, just independently on his own, is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Well, to walk in wisdom 
is to walk in Jesus Christ and with Jesus Christ, who Paul told us in Colossians, became the wisdom of God for us, and in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So to live in wisdom and not as a fool is to be dependent on Jesus, isn't it? Because that total independence would lead to total disaster. In fact, David, uh, in speaking to his son Solomon, King David, he he spoke about not being totally independent. He he commends Solomon. He says, you, Solomon, my son, you, you know the God of your father. You serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. And look at this last line of verse nine. He says, if you seek him, he'll be found by you. I think you could rightly say, if you depend on him, you'll find him. He'll be with you. He'll protect you. He'll guide you. But if you forsake him and you decide to live totally independent on your own, you, you can count on total disaster. He'll cast you off forever. And what's curious is Solomon, while he began on this line, towards the end of his life, faded into this line. <laughs> Friends, if you want freedom, you need to add dependence on God to it. Because uh, total independence leads to total disaster. In fact, Jeremiah, the prophet, wrote this uh, to God's people who were in active rebellion against him living like that second line there uh, in Second Chron- First Chronicles. Uh, here's what Jeremiah writes. This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. But the wealthy and the wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Boast in the fact that you know the Lord, that you're dependent on him, that you need him, that uh, it's not I, it's Christ through me. That's what we ought to boast in. See, friends, you don't want to be totally independent. That would be totally disaster, or it would be a total disaster. Don't seek total independence Rather, seek to be totally in dependence. Seek to be totally in dependence on the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is one of the verses I had to memorize uh, when I was young. One of the first verses I probably ever memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in how many of your ways should you acknowledge him? All of them. Total dependence. In all your ways acknowledge him, and then what? He'll just make your life miserable and kind of have his thumb on you and, you know, just uh, keep you from doing anything fun with your life? No. He'll make all your paths straight. He'll keep you from going down the stupid paths that you'd go on your own that lead to heartache and ruin. Seek to live in dependence. Psalm 37 says to commit your way to the Lord, friend. Commit your way to him. And then he will act. See, you were made, you were created to live in dependence, totally in dependence on your creator. You know, there's the account in uh, the book of Acts in chapter 17 where Paul is in Athens and he he goes to this place called the Oropagus, which uh, his nickname is Mars Hill. And he goes to this place and uh, he's seeing 
uh, all of their philosophies, all the things that they believe in, they were, we're gonna, I'm gonna read it here to you in a moment. Um, but, but he makes this appeal that, hey, you know, you know who you're really reaching for and searching for? It's God, because you were created to be independent, or independence, excuse me, on him. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, I'm, I'm gonna start in verse 16. If you got your own Bible, you can read along. Or you can just listen. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, you know, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so they took him and they brought him to the Oropagus saying, can we know this new teaching that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. A little side comment Luke gives us is now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, uh, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said this. He said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. I wonder if Paul were to visit us on the 4th of July, if he'd see all the banners, all the excitement, all the celebrations, and say, uh, you know, I, I found these altars all over the place that have this inscription, freedom. Let me tell you about the God who's behind that true freedom. He says this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And hear this in verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. Paul was saying uh, that you were created to be in dependence on God. You were created with this longing in your heart uh, for freedom, for knowledge of him that, that would, would draw you to seek after him, to, to kind of feel out for meaning, to feel out for God. And he's saying that's in Jesus Christ. And as you live your life in total dependence on God, then you find true freedom. See, when we depend on God, we can have confidence that he'll guide us down the right paths for our lives. Uh, depending on God gives us stability and, and purpose, and it's through his, that dependence we really truly have lasting happiness, right? Declaration of independence, searching for freedom and independence so that we could pursue happiness. Well, uh, friend, it's, it's in Jesus. That's where you need to pursue it. You know, many of the founders uh, believed in a God who guides the affairs of mankind. Not all of them were, were Christians. Uh, most of them were moral people, though. And uh, many of them did believe in God. And, and we forget that in their declaration of independence from an earthly power, they also 
directly declared their dependence on Almighty God. See, you know that uh, beginning part of the Declaration of Independence, right? We all have certain unalienable rights, all that. But do you know how it closes? Listen to the closing words. It says, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. In other words, fully dependent on God, we make this declaration. So our independence is only true freedom when it's lived in dependence on Almighty God. Friends, our nation needs to return to the Lord. But don't hear this as a message for whoever that is out there in your mind who's not following the Lord. Oh, if they just got it together, then you know, our nation would be better and life would be better. No, hear it for you. Hear it for you. That's where revival begins, is in the house of the Lord with his own people. This isn't for them, quote unquote. This is for us. To live in dependence on the Lord. Freedom plus dependence on God equals happiness. There's your full equation to memorize. Freedom plus dependence on God equals happiness. If you prefer, you could write equals joy. Uh, Psalm 144 verse 15 says, happy are the people with such blessings. They are the people whose God is the Lord. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Not happy are the people who get as much as they can for themselves. Not happy are the people who have total independence. Not happy are the people who are completely wealthy in every single way and can do whatever they want, whenever they want. No, happy are those whose God is the Lord. And there's this link in scripture between happiness and blessing. In fact, you know, often it's the same word in the Old Testament. Uh, Some translations translate this, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Blessed are the, those people whose God is the Lord. But, but that word used there actually is, I might argue, is maybe better translated happiness. See, there's a couple words in the Old Testament that are translated as happiness primarily, or as blessing, primarily two. The first one, uh, Barak, means uh, blessing or blessed, happiness. And, and that word sometimes is used about God. You know, blessed, Barak, be the name of the Lord. Barak, Yahweh. And when it's used of God, it means to praise him, to give praise to God, bless his name, bless his holy name, right? And then sometimes that word is used of people. Blessed are you when people persecute you, right? Blessed are you as God's people. When it's used of people, that idea of blessing is actually the idea of a state of happiness and of contentment and of joy. And then there's another word, ashray, in Hebrew that's used for, for blessing. And, and that word is never applied to God. It's only applied to people. And that's what we see here. And we'll see it here again in, in Proverbs thir- or chapter 3. But that word always, again, in the same way, it's only ever applied to people. And it relates to their sense of happiness and well-being. And so often when you read about people being blessed in the Bible, you could read it in terms of their happiness and their joy. That doesn't mean like everything in life goes perfect and they always have a smile on their face, but it does mean deep down and in the end, they have great happiness. You ever seen that about somebody who trusts the Lord? And even in the midst of like the worst trials and you're like, your life, oh my goodness, I can't imagine going through the things you've gone through. 
and yet you've got a smile on your face. What is that about? It's usually because of their trust in the Lord and their blessing and their happiness is rooted there, not in everything around them. Uh, Proverbs 3, it says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. How many of you are like, you know, if, if I got a profit of some silver and some gold today, I'd, I'd be blessed. No, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that. You'd say, I'd be happy, wouldn't you? See, the, the, the blessing of wisdom in the Lord, of being dependent on the Lord, walking in that wisdom is ultimately happiness, true joy, true happiness, true gladness and hope. You know, Jesus told us in John 15, verse 11, he said, I've spoken these things to you so that my joy could be in you. And your joy, your happiness could be what? Complete. That, that you have freedom. So use it with dependence on God. And your joy will be complete. You'll have true happiness. Jesus also said in John 16, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive. And he promises for our joy to be what? Full. How about Psalm 34? Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Now again, this isn't a promise that like if you trust the Lord and are dependent on him, you'll never face trial, you'll never face heartache. You will. We live in a sin-broken, messed up world. And it begins in our own hearts. But it does mean that as a general rule and as the ultimate trajectory of your life, you'll have true joy, deep and abiding happiness that's full as you take refuge in him and depend on him with your freedom. The psalmist also writes, you make known to me the path of life and in your presence, eh, there's a little bit of joy. No, that's not what he says. There's fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. At your right hand are our pleasures forevermore. We use our freedom way too often to seek our own pleasure in so many different things, but, but really it's independence on the Lord. So friend, today, a day we celebrate freedom, we blow a bunch of stuff up, eat a bunch of food that's not good for us, but that tastes good. And as we celebrate the freedom God has given our nation, don't forget that he offers you personal freedom as well. And that that freedom is meant for you to add dependence on God to, trusting in Jesus Christ. And as you do, that's where you'll have true happiness. And if you can memorize that formula and live it out, you'll have a life full of joy and full of fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you that uh, you don't leave us on our own, but you do give us hope. Uh, that you do give us true freedom as we trust you and that it's for that freedom you died on the cross for us so that we could know it and live in it and experience it. So, uh, Father, would you help each of us to recognize, one, the freedom you've given us, and then, two, to live it out in, in full and total dependence on you and on your spirit. Help us to turn and repent uh, from the times that we seek total independence and rather 
live totally independent on you. We pray that for our nation too, Lord. We do pray that you would pour your spirit out uh, beginning on us uh, to bring uh, revival and hope and uh, restoration and renewal to the lives of people. Not, not for the sake of our nation being great, but for the sake of your kingdom growing and people knowing true freedom and joy. And Holy Spirit, I pray for my friends who've never trusted you and I pray today you might draw their hearts. And uh, friend, if that's you, uh, you, you know maybe deep down you've been searching and using your freedom to search for, for joy and happiness uh, by living uh, with independence and doing whatever you want, whenever you want. And at every turn in the end, you found it lacking. Today's a day, if you hear my voice, you could uh, repent, you could turn, turn around and turn from that foolish way and instead turn to Jesus in whose hand there are pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God. And that is where Jesus sits, is at his right hand. And if you would believe in your heart, confess with your lips that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sin and rose from the grave to earn your life, you will be saved. And you can begin to have that true freedom and that true joy and happiness. Father, thanks for Jesus. We pray all of this through him. Amen.